When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights. With your host, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders Keith Sargent and James Cratch. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Back from sunny Jacksonville and really not happy about it. If you're like me looking at the weather out here in New Jersey, uh, I'd rather be back down there. Gator Bowl, 30 to 38 to 10 loss to Lake Forest for the Scarlet Knights. Um, joined by Cratch and Sarge, as always. And, fellas, I will say this from the start. Uh, I was wrong about this game. I thought it would be an abject disaster, a blowout with the potential for injuries or certainly an embarrassing score. Uh, it was not that. And I think the key here is once you accepted that, A, the players really wanted this, and you could tell from the beginning they were into it, uh, and B, you know, Greg Shiano was going to treat it like a glorified scrimmage game and play every single player on the team, get them experience. You know, Sarge, once you accepted those two things, I think Rutgers found a way to make a difficult trip worthwhile. I agree. And I kind of, one of, that was one of the things that I, I talked about how fascinating, uh, you know, how, how intrigued I was going into it because I thought Graciano was going to play a lot of players. And to his credit, um, he look, I mean, yeah, we could talk about this later in the pod, but like, I think some of the subterfuge of him not telling you know, not telling the media and the fans by, by extension who was going to play, you know, and, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, not, not letting on about Bo Melton and Pacheco and all these other guys. Fadakazi was on the trip. So, I mean, you know, there, there was some subterfuge there. So, I mean, you know, th- th- there, there was a lot of things that, you know, that, that he did as a way to, to kind of, you know, uh, mask, you know, the depth chart, you know, for, for, I guess, competitive advantage. Right. But all that being said, he did say, and he said on the eve of the game, he said, it, you know, leading in, he was going to play a lot of guys. He, he said, yeah, you know, he conceded he that Winsett was going to be in the game plan and he was going to play a lot of guys and he did. And that was the most intriguing part of the, of the game to me. And looking back on it, I mean, I, you know, if you're going to be a Rutgers fan and you want to be optimistic about 2022, you saw some guys, you know, Shaquan Loyal comes to mind. A few, you know, other, other guys that we could talk about later that give you a lot of hope that, you know, 2022 is going to be, you know, a little bit more promising than a lot of people thought going into the game. Yeah, and it, yeah, I totally agree. It was fascinating. You know, the, the Wake Forest marches right down the field, scores the early touchdown. You're like, uh-oh, here we go. And to Rutgers' credit, you know, it came right back with one of their better drives, Cratch. I know you weren't at the game, but you certainly were watching it from from Wedding Hell or, excuse me, uh, 
from Wedding Bliss uh, with your sister getting married. You know, certainly, you know, that was one of the better drives that, that they've had in a long time. You know, and you, you saw some competency, you saw good blocking, you saw uh, some good passes, you saw a lot of creativity. I mean, you know, what did you think watching that on TV when uh, early in the game they, they seemed to show some offense competency? Yeah, I thought they had a great first half. Moving the ball, there was some creativity. I think in terms of the big picture, it did sort of feel like they had that drive and it was like, okay, like, that's all we got, you know. <laughs> right, <laughs> like yeah. that, that, that was it, you know. If we could win this game seven, we were trying to win seven six. Not going to happen. Yeah, no, yeah. I look. I, look, I thought it was a little bit like thought it was a little bit too cute at times. You know, it's like either play Wimsat or play Vedral, but like you know the the little sprinkle of Evan Simon. I didn't really see like what the point was there, other than trying to keep everybody happy and still you know still on the team moving forward. But no, I thought they they, they acquitted themselves well. I think that you know I I will say like I texted you guys like that red zone interception you could see coming a mile away just because this is a team that's not really built to go brick by brick on offense you know they, they the lack of chunk plays usually comes back to hurt them in the end the lack of big plays I don't think they acquitted themselves well I thought defensively they played pretty well I think Big Forest maybe took the, the the foot off the gas a little bit in the second half oh. Did they ever at the end of the first half too? Did they? I mean, you know, not kicking that field goal. I mean, start kicking that field goal, not going for it on fourth and inches. Yeah, Again, you know, I think that I was think, the I think, I think yeah. Wake Forest took a gentlemanly approach to coasting into their you know historic eleven and three finish. I think it was you know top twenty five. And oh, look, Wake's like Wake is going to potentially be like a preseason top ten team next year. They got everybody back basically, so uh, they, they're a team that's got a lot to look forward to. And they, I think they kind of eased up a little bit. Maybe that relationship, friendship between Clawson and Chiano came back. To help. But look, I agree with you. I thought they acquitted themselves well. They got what they had to do out of it. I was a little puzzled with the with the subterfuge in the beginning. Just because, from my perspective, we've talked about this. Bowl games are supposed to be infomercials for your program. And it's kind of hard to have an infomercial when you don't want to let anyone know who's playing. <laughs> And look, yeah. look, I had fans, I mean, I had, uh, you know, who, who were planning on going down to the game, who said, you know, who, who were asking me as if, like, I'm going to all of a sudden just give them the, 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 you know, the program secrets on the slide, which I wasn't going to do. But, you know, I was reporting what, you know, what, what, what I could report, but they won't want to know who is playing, you know, and, and I guess the point was, if I'm going to spend $2,000 on, on, on this trip down there, you know, look, I know that they're an underdog no matter what. But I want to know who's playing. And again, you know, the reason why, you know, us in the media kind of press, you know, coaches and schools to be forthcoming on whether it's injuries or who's playing, depth chart, all this other stuff is because, you know, the fans want to know. And we're, we're you know, it's, it's not just us asking, but, you know, the fans are asking us. So we're asking the coaches. So, and again, Rutgers isn't the only school. And, and you know, if you're, if, you, if you're ranking, you know, who, who's the, the, the most secretive, Rutgers might be in the middle of the pack there. But, you know, this week going into it, I thought it was an opportunity where Graciano could, could have been a lot more forthcoming, certainly acknowledging the fact that Bo Melton wasn't going to play, Isaiah Pacheco. Look, it, it's 2020. You see all these uh, players opting out for pro. Like, just be forthcoming with it. And, and all right, so we did know. I mean, I think we all sort of agreed that Gavin Wimsad had to play, uh, and, and he did play. I mean, this was our first extended look. Uh, you know, Rutgers had five 
players throw a pass in the first half alone, which is pretty wild. I'm not sure I've ever seen that in a game. Uh, Wimsat, you know, it was a mixed bag. He had one, he scrambled for 31 yards on one really nice run, the shifty run that I don't think we've seen, uh, you know, a quarterback make or maybe any skilled player make, uh, you know, this year. Uh, He fired a pass on third down into a tight window to Isaiah Washington in one play, you know, but otherwise he was not accurate at all, not even close to accurate. And I, I don't know if that if I should be concerned, if, you, if Rutgers fans should be concerned about what they saw there, Sarge, or if there is, you know, this is still, hey, 18-year-old kid, first extended action, you know, let, let's ease off on them and, and talk about growing pains. What do you think? Um, I think, I mean, w- was there a big, did, did they all of a sudden, you know, for the bowl game, get like this infusion of offensive line talent quality that I wasn't no, aware I of? I get it. I get it. But it wasn't. No, I mean, look, I mean, there's a reason time. why everyone keeps on saying, why do they do all these short, you know, Passes with Vedral, you know, we can't throw the ball down the field. You know, all this other stuff. Like, why are they, you know, d- doing four-yard dumps out, you know, d- uh, uh, dumps all the time? Well, maybe because they're trying to mask the fact that their offense isn't very you – know, offensive line's not very good. And I think Wimsat is a different, uh, you know, quarterback. I think if long-term, they're going to have to solve the offensive line issue. They're going to have to give a quarterback some semblance of time to throw the ball – you know, stress the field. He has a gr- he has a really good arm. We've seen enough in practice to say he could throw it. Okay, accuracy. You know, I mean, for any young quarterback, it's gonna be an issue. But you know, he's gonna need time. Is basically you know for you know. So they're gonna have to solve the offensive line issue. And you know, I don't think they solved it within those uh, you know four weeks from the Maryland game all the way to the bowl game. Scratch. What did you see from that? Look, I think one of the things we have to kind of keep in mind with Gavin is I think he's still very raw. You know, this is a kid who like. Yes, we as we've all said, should still be in high school. But he got here, and there was no developmental time. He got here during the season, you know. So I think you know, obviously they work with him, but I don't think you can make any snap, you know, judgments on Wimsat until he goes through a full off-season program, a full spring practice, a full training camp. Then we get on the field next year. Right. I think I get it. Yeah. You know, there there are P- Rutgers fans who are going to get antsy because they kind of went through this a couple of years ago with Art Sikowski, but Art was struggling with accuracy and all that. Granted, after he'd had a full spring practice and a full training camp, we haven't seen that with Gavin yet. You know, I think that you know one of our subscribers sent a video of Gavin at the Elite Eleven. Like this is, I mean, he's throw two things. One, I never look at camp stuff when he's throwing a bunch of wide receivers he's never met. You know, and two, Gavin's like Gavin didn't really start even like working with like with a private quarterback coach until the pandemic. Like he's very, he was a guy who played hoops and ran track and played baseball. You know, like that was the thing. Like he was a double double guy for the basketball team in the winter. He wasn't working out with a quarterback coach. His rise as an elite quarterback prospect really didn't happen until right before his senior year, you know, junior year of high school. So he he is a very raw, you know, I think in many ways he's sort of a, a lump of clay that Rutgers is now going to get to kind of shape moving forward. And he, they didn't have time to do that in season. So I think the jury is very much out. You got to give Gavin a little bit of grace here. I thought he showed some good things. His pocket presence, I think, is the biggest positive you can take away. Rutgers has not had a quarterback who can sidestep a pass rush, and there's plenty of pass rush coming at Rutgers quarterbacks these days and make plays like that scramble down. All right. Uh, defensively, the other side of the ball, Sarge, you know, there was a moment in that in that game in the press box where uh, you, 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 you were holding the holding the flip card. And it looked like, like, and you said to me, I don't know, I don't recognize this defense, as I think was your direct quote. There were so many guys in there, you know, that we hadn't seen during the year. They were shifting them out, using them in the secondary, you know. And again, I'm going to give, you know, it's one of the true false questions, but, you know, 
Dave Clawson really did help, did, did a nicey to, to, to Shiano by not really exploiting the secondary, I thought, and, and throwing the ball down the field a lot. That said, those guys did hold their own in a lot of different ways. I mean, it, it, was, it was interesting to see how many young players were out there, and I thought, given, the, given that, given that, it was better than you could have hoped. Yeah, at one point they had two true freshmen, Cameron Stewart um, and 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 um, and uh, Shaquan Loyal, um, and then they had you know three uh, three or four guys who really barely played this entire year. So like half more than half the defense at one point during a you know a, <laughs> during a crucial point in the game too in the second quarter uh, were all just like completely uh, you know newbie guy uh, new guys. Uh, so look if. if and again, I, I, I said it before, the, the, the 2022 season, we went into this after the Maryland game thinking, oh, my God, they're going to lose, you know, you know, six, seven starters on defense, potentially. They're going to lose, uh, you, know, you know, probably you know, a bunch of guys on offense as well that, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks. I think it did. I think it really did uh, answer some, some of those question marks that, you know, and, and Graciano did the whole coach, coaching adage, adage that now we have film going to the offseason. Well, you know, that's good for them. But, you know, if, if you're a Rutgers fan and you want to ha- have a little optimism, you, you could say, well, some of these guys held their own during, you know, not garbage time, not, not you know, the fourth quarter against Ohio State when you're throwing these guys out there, you know, in a, in a 30-point blowout, you know, during a crucial point in the game and they, they held their own. All right. Good stuff. Let's dive into true or false here and then address some more of these specific topics. True or false, guys? Keyson Abraham picks off that pass early in the game. Rutgers had a shot. Sarge, true or false? True. Ratch? I'll say false. I, I just think Wake Forest offensively too much. Yeah, I'm going to say false as well. I don't think it would have made that big of a difference. All right, true or false? Rutgers fans deserve a ton of credit for traveling in the numbers they traveled to this game. Sorry, it's true or false? True. I, I never got a full estimate. I'm not, you know, Jerry Carino or Brian Fonseca who are really good at estimating. Um, but I think you could probably say, I mean, they were they were saying 2,500 to 5,000. I think they might have actually exceeded 5,000, but, you know, maybe, you know, 5,500. Cratch, true or false? True, true, true. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll have a little chance to discuss, but it was not easy to get anywhere in this country uh, over <laughs> the holidays. So definitely true. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, big capital letters true. I, totally I mean, it could have driven. I mean, you know, some, yeah. some, some people on the, on the podcast here, I'm not going to mention names, but was dedicated yeah. enough to actually drive. But All right, so I, real quick, I'll just break your mind. Schools. So this is to give you an idea of how crazy it was. Uh, obviously, my sister's wedding on Thursday. My brother and sister-in-law had another wedding to attend in Milwaukee on Friday. Their flight got canceled like four different times. Like I'm literally at the reception with my brother being like, well, you know, if you can, maybe you could fly Allentown to Milwaukee, Chicago and then rent a car. Or maybe you could fly to Fond du Lac from LaGuardia. So like, I can't imagine like they, they got there, thankfully, but they were literally on like their fifth flight and second airline to actually get to the place. So I think that Rutgers fans who got there deserve a lot of credit because flights were getting canceled all over the place. Yeah, short notice and it was not an easy place to get to, uh, and especially when you have low expectations for the game. Uh, and they were everywhere, Sarge. We, we were wandering around town, bump, bumped into sure. fans down, and j- down in Jagsville, you know, the restaurants we, we were at. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, they were clearly had, a, I thought they had many fans as Wake Forest. They did. Really in the game. They did. So, I would agree. Uh, all right. True or false? Gavin Wimsett said, this, 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 this should be a good thing too. We've been pronouncing it wrong all year, which told me Gavin Wimsett will start the 2022 
season opener against Boston College. Sorry, it's true or false. True, but I want to get back to that, okay? Okay, true. Scratch, true or false? True. All right, I'm going to go false just to make the fans lose their minds. Uh, we'll get back to that one. True or false? Fran Brown will be the next defensive coordinator. Sorry, it's true or false? False. Scratch? False. Wow, okay. I, I don't have any inside information, so I'll jump with you and say false as well. True or false? Bo Melton, Isaiah Pacheco, and the rest of the players who opted out should have played in the game. Sorry, it's true or false? Big false. Cratch? False. Did you yeah, see the Wake Forest uh, player who broke his ankle? Uh, did you yeah. see Matt Corral? I mean, these guys are making decisions. Look, I mean, coaches, Brian Kelly opted out and went to LSU because <laughs> he knew they weren't they're going to play in a, you know, a, you know, not even a second-tier bowl, like a really good bowl. Like, this is a business, guys. I mean, yeah. if you haven't figured this out to this point, I don't know what to tell you. But, you know, these guys are looking out for, for, for themselves. And you can make a case that, you know, a, a few of them might have had more exposure. But, you know, the idea of, of getting hurt, like the, the like the Wake Forest guy who, who broke his ankle and had to be cart, carted off or Matt Corral or, you know, any of these you know other countless examples. I mean, they, they, they I'm, I cannot rip a, a player for making that decision. Yeah. Go ahead, Cratch. We got something. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the big pieces of context that's missing from all the opt-out situation is you have to consider, like, the bowls are not meaningless. They, they do matter. For some teams, they don't. You know, like, look, I got why all those Ohio State guys opted out of the Rose Bowl because they've played in the Rose Bowl before. They've won it. And Ohio State has gotten to this point where the only thing they care about is a national title. You know, they're, they're one of the handful of schools. That that's all that matters. Whereas Matt Corral, I totally understood why Matt Corral played in the Rose Bowl. I'm assuming the Sugar Bowl. If Ole Miss wins the Sugar Bowl, it's still a colossal deal. They don't win 10, 11 games very often and go to the Sugar Bowl and get have a chance to win the Sugar Bowl. So if Rutgers had actually earned its way into the Gator Bowl with like nine wins, I think there would be a question, okay, like, because that point, now we're talking about the greatest, you know, one of the greatest seasons in Rutgers history, but I don't fault those guys at all for opting out yeah. on short notice when you're five and seven. Look, let's be real here, okay? But it's this a is wonderful a, experience. Rutgers didn't really make the Gator Bowl, okay? But, this, but, yeah. but again, yeah, that's all, all true and all true. And and the, these guys, Pacheco and, and Melton, you know, were, were literally, you know, already had already committed to, they signed with agents. I know they probably could have got a waiver, but they were, you know, they're, they're hearts and minds were set on NFL draft prep, okay? But again, this isn't 2007 where Ray Rice knew he was going to the NFL and knew he was going to be, uh, you know, a top three rounds. There was nothing he could have done in the International Bowl to, 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 to improve his draft stock. And he still went out and ran for 280 yards. This isn't 2007. This is a different era of, of guys who, who are, are really thinking about their future. Coaches are thinking about their future. Everyone is thinking about their future when it comes, when it comes to this. I cannot, you know, uh, I understand the point that if it was a true, you know, you know, that they earned their way and it could have been, but again, I, every, everyone's making a decision at that point, you know, Greg Seattle's making his you know, decision, assistant coaches are making their, uh, their, their, their own decisions. You know, I cannot criticize a player for, for thinking about, you know, the future. It made it such a, so amazing how tone deaf Kirk Herbstreit was talking about this. I mean, ESPN, I mean, like, absolutely. Where, yeah. How, when did you become? When did you become Grandpa Simpson here, dude? I mean, I'm just amazed. I'm just sort of amazed by that. To be that out of touch with what's going on in college. Absolutely. Not only that, but it's like, dude, 
your employer is the reason why we are here. You know, I, I, I thought the same thing. Several fans said on Twitter, the halftime show at the Gator Bowl, they didn't talk once about the Gator Bowl. They didn't even like do five minutes of, hey, you know, what does Rutgers have to do to get in this game? You know, yeah. like they just didn't care. It was just, it was just like shoulder programming to the playoff. And no, and, and, There's 130 teams in college football. Four or five of them can win the national title in any given year. And yeah. it's the same teams every year. So like, who, that's what I'm saying. Like the bowls do matter. Look at, the Rose Bowl, Utah. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened in Utah football, okay? Baylor winning the Sugar Bowl, colossal deal. Even Wake Forest winning the Gator Bowl. Wake Forest is 11-3. and three. Like, that never happens there. So I think that's the big issue is that it's okay for players to opt out. It's also okay for players like Matt Corral to opt in because that still means a lot to them. Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State, that's pretty much it. Like, Georgia, they're, they're in a, a step above it only thing that matters them is a national title that's great everyone else in the country like i would even argue even oklahoma probably still cares about winning the sugar bowl or the cotton ball so that's my thing it's just like but for her to say that was ridiculous because it is espn that has created this thing espn has just you know created this thing of the only thing that matters is the final four when the truth is most of the country can't even get to the final four yep i love bowl games too by the way i'm, I'm and the, this isn't someone who says all the players should like i I, I genuinely love you know you know the, the oh whole, yeah this whole schedule, but again I think fans and and media and coaches even the coaches who are criticizing this like they need to temper they need to like Graciano I think did it the right way you know using you know the Gator Bowl is essentially like a you know a glorified Scarlet White game you know I mean that he was going to play as many young guys as possible in in, in, in you know to, in, in an effort to gauge you know who we could count on for 2022 the hottest take of hot takes if you gave Jim Harbaugh truth serum <laughs> I bet you he would say he would have much rather had taken his Michigan Wolverines to the Rose Bowl and played. Totally right. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Walk off that field with that Rose Bowl trophy in the way that you, yeah, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, all right. So let's, let's address the Gavin Wimsett thing. Cause I think that's, that's, that's going to be the, the storyline from now for the next eight months. We're going to be talking about who's going to start that opener. You both think Wimsett is going to start it. I'm going to make the case again for Noah Vedral. And here's why. Right, because I think what we saw in that game was you're not going to have one quarterback next year. I really, I really get the sense that this is going to be you're going to see a, you're going to see a lot. You're going to see a lot of platoons. You're going to see uh, them using more than one quarterback. And you know the experience, the the ability to read offenses, the accuracy is better with Bedrill. I get it. I get it. He's a limited passer. He's coming back. Uh, he's going to be team captain. I just, I just get the sense if you're going to start Gavin in that game. Right away, you were saying to Noah Vedral, "Okay, kid, you're 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 pick up the clipboard. This this is what we're doing now. Um, tell me why you disagree, guys." Well, so here's what here's what I'll say. A, because you asked me the question, I said true. I think Gavin will start at quarterback. I think Vedral, and there's no inside information. It's just based on what I saw in that bowl game and some of the practices. Um, I think Vedral is going to play a role a lot more similar to Johnny Langan a couple of years ago where, you know, or even, you know, a little H back again, no inside information. I just think that he's such a tough kid. 
you know, his greatest strength that we saw this year was the ability to just take off and run the ball. You know, I think they're going to use him in a lot of different ways, kind of like what they're doing with Langan. And he could play quarterback still. I think he's going to be a multi-positional, you know, Swiss Army knife type guy along with, with like, a, similar to Johnny Langan. And, again, no inside information. But I saw on that gun run package where, where normally he was split out early in the year, he was splitting out, you know, all the way getting out of dodge. You know, this time he was actually staying in the backfield where, where um, you know, you know Langan would uh, take the ball and, and Vedral was actually blocking. So he, he wasn't afraid to get his nose in there. You know, I think Noah Vedral is going to be a football player, kind of like what, what they always say. Well, you know, what position are you, Johnny Langan? He's a football player. I think Noah Vedral is going to be a football player next year. I mean, but Vedral's not Johnny Langan. I mean, he's not he's not built the same way. He's the, the... Well, he's a tough, but he's a tough kid and he can run. And we've seen quarterbacks make that transition, you know, you know, you know, during, during Langan's like six years and then certainly, pounds. yeah, he's a football player. But I mean, how many times have we said, yeah, how's he taking that hit? Like, I mean, there, there were probably a half dozen hits this season where we're like, what the heck? Okay, like, you know, how is he coming back? How is he getting back up? You know, the kid is tough. You know, I, I, I think if you have a full off season to, 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 to get him, you know, you know, prepared for other positions. I think, again, I think he's going to be a multi-positional H-back quarterback, you know, type, type guy. Again, no insider information. Just what I saw, you know, both during the Gator Bowl, some practice, and just my own uh, read on the situation. Cratch break the tie. Sarge makes a very interesting argument in theory. To me, I don't think that's the way to go for Rutgers just because I'm going to be frank. I, I, I question whether Sean Gleason could actually efficiently run an offense with so many moving pieces and gadgets. It just To me, it just seems like if you have three quarterbacks, you have none. You know, I think you, you need to make a clear decision that if you're going to use none of it like that, then Langan needs to be a tight end full time. But I think Langan might be more effective in the short yardage. For this real quick – I know it's well past history. If Rutgers had hired J- Jeff Munkin as the head coach, Johnny Lang would have been a Heisman Trophy candidate this year. I mean, that kid missed his calling. If he was in an option attack, a triple uh, as flex mode attack, my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> I think Wimsett's going to be the guy because at this point we've seen the ceiling with Noah for two years, and you got to have the kid play. I mean, this is the future of the program. And I just think that he, I know the accuracy wasn't there, but he does things with the arm, with sidestepping the pass rush, that just that offense is going to need because they're not going to have the seven blocks of granite up front next year. Playmakers are made. I mean, guys, I'm not saying we'll, we'll see what it looks like. So far, they have swung and missed yep. with every transfer portal target mm-hmm. they've had. Well, not everyone. Okay? Give me, give it, give it. I mean, let's, 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 you yeah. know. Well, so far, I'm just saying they've been tied to. So, you know, and we've talked about the transfer portal this is not you know Rutgers fans need to temper their expectations I'm sure they're going to get guys out of the portal they're not going to get six wins out of the portal I mean plus six you know this is not going to become a 10-win team because of their portal acquisition just work that way they just the playmakers they have issues I mean who's the number one wide it's receiver I guess Shameen Jones. yeah I mean they they yeah his biggest Manung guy and Aaron, Aaron Young Krushank, you know? Aaron Krushank, you're big, okay he well back? yeah but he decided he tore his ACL like what's he gonna look like when he comes back you know was he ever a go-to number yeah, he's one never a go-to he really, yeah, he was, he was, he really yeah. yeah, he was a great yeah. number two or number three. You know, yeah, I mean, right. Shamine Jones had a quiet. I mean, I just feel like there can't there could be too many cooks in the kitchen. I think they got to streamline this. I think Wimsett's the most talented of the group. So if he's ready, you got to go with it because at some point it kind of gets back to what we talked about years ago with Chris Ash. It's like if you're not going to be that good, and I still think this is a team that's going to take a step back given their schedule. You got to be moving the ball forward 
in other ways. And I think getting Gavin Wimsett ready, because if you, if you stick with a platoon that's, that's awkward or you go with Edgerill, now you're in 2023 when you have to win. I don't care who the coach is. Year four, you got to go. Yeah. And if Wimsett yeah. doesn't have much experience, I mean, how is that helping Rutgers? Well, I mean, and you make a great point early on that this next eight months is going to be uh, the key to the whole thing. If they can't, they have to develop him. When we get, when you get, when you get to August, that that's got to, he's got to be a more polished product. Then I guess we'll wait and see if he is. All right, let's dive into some hey, Rutgers insights. Yeah, real quick, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Can I just uh, steal Politi's thunder here and and ask the true yeah. falsehood? I'm curious on Cratch's okay. take on this. On your yours. There will be at least one surprise Rutgers player entering the transfer portal this offseason, like a player that you didn't really think. Like what like what we've seen with Mike Maietti or Jonah Jackson in the last couple of years. Like a player we're like, oh, God, true or false, cratch. I'll say true, just because I think the world has kind of opened up now. So people can, you know, plus these guys have extra year or two years. So I will say true. I mean, you know, you never want that late January surprise like with Maietti and like with Jonah Jackson. But, you know, it definitely has something you have to watch for, uh, you know, as we've seen that that can happen. Gee, that sounds ominous. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think just the nature of college football is that someone is, if this time last year, you wouldn't have necessarily thought that uh, Art Sikowski was going to be in the transfer portal. So well, you're, yeah. you're, Steve, you're, you're, you're breaking the rules. You're breaking uh, it's true or false. Okay, Steve. I mean, you, you have to know the rules of true or false. I made the rules, Sarge. <laughs> got a $10 bill in my pocket for this is great. So I got to get a jumping around, but this is a, this is, this is a great story. So we're in the, we're in the press box. And the only player, of course, the only player we want to talk to is Gavin Wimsett. I mean, Johnny Langan's great kid. He's play, he was the player of the game. I, I didn't need to hear from him. Didn't need to hear from him. I mean, you know, I, you know, they brought out Aaron Young, nice guy. Isaiah Washington threw a trick, trick pass on a trick play. Again, nice kid, played a good game, caught a, you know, caught a big pass. The only player we want to see. We haven't and talked so, to Gavin uh, Wimsett all year. About the last person to talk to Gavin Wimsett was Cratch, I think, in, in on, on the field in Kentucky. I don't think anyone's talked to him since. So here we are, and I look over to – we put in the request to Jimmy Gill, the great Rutgers uh, sports information assistant director. We tell, he, he's, he's – okay, we need Gavin. We need Gavin. We need Gavin. So I look at Sarge and I say, I, I, we, what do you think? Are we going to get him? He's like, yeah, Carson, yeah, you know, I, I Sarge. Oh, the ultimate optimist. Says, yeah, you know, I think, I think they're going to give him to us. I can't see why they wouldn't. You, you want to? I said, do you want to bet, Sarge? And he goes, sure, okay, I'll bet you one dollar. One dollar, okay, one dollar, great, one dollar. So we get down there, we're down down in the bowels of the Gator Bowl, uh, and sure enough, right, we find out pretty pretty soon that oh, they they thought about it, they considered it, but you know, we'll make him available in spring. And Sarge just takes out his wallet, but he doesn't have one dollar in there. He doesn't have a dollar in his wallet. So what does he do? He holds him a ten dollar bill. And I take the ten dollar bill, and I say, "Yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you changed as soon as I can." He's never getting that nine dollars back. He's no, just I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to expense not. it, by the way. And I know, and, you know, my editors are listening it, but I'm going to have to figure a way because, you know, that that that, that nine dollar difference is 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 hurting already. I'm still feeling it. You're still feeling <laughs> it. Yeah, that was a, just a bad bet. So let's dive into some uh, let's dive into some insider questions. We are off the rails, by the way. Off We're the off the rails. rails. Of course, it's the last podcast. I mean, what else? What else we can do? It's like the game. It's a scrimmage for next year's podcast. Uh, all right, lots of questions about what the Gator Bowl meant for recruiting. Uh, does, it, does it change the story of recruits in the short term? Does it change the way we approach the 2022 season? Uh, we don't have any sort of information on this, guys, but 
you know, I did, I did talk to someone who said that, that the fans, the, the recruits do not care how you got into a bowl game. They just know you're in a bowl game. So accepting that, I think it's going to make an impact. Cratch, what do you think? Do you think this is going to move the needle with the high school uh, kids in, in 2022, 2023 beyond? Yeah, I think it can help. I mean, it's it's more positive, you know, information for Rutgers to provide to them and everything to convey to them. Uh, as for the 2022 season, doesn't mean a darn thing to me. You know, I don't think this is anything that springboards them into it. Like, look, it's a it's a great achievement. They had to accept it, but like, you know, this was a very there's an asterisk by this one. You know, I think Rutgers should, you know, Rutgers' goal now should be to actually get to a Gator Bowl level game on its own merits, on field, and then celebrate that greatly. All right, moving on. Um, a lot of more questions about the latest with the coaching staff changes. Uh, who's in, who's out? Why was Rob Smith not retained? Who is the, who is the, the best D.C. Rutgers realistically could hire? Um, I mean, what do you guys think? Is, is, is Fran Brown, you both didn't, weren't quite sure that Fran Brown would be the guy here. Um, if he's not, who is the guy? I just think if Fran Brown was going to be the guy, you would have promoted him immediately. You know, you would have definitely promoted him before the bowl game because then he would have had a chance to, you know, to be the guy at the bowl game. Uh, look, it's I, I bad, think it's a bad sign that Greg, when we give, give him the opportunity, who's going to call the defense? He said, well, it's going to be like a, you know, mixture. Mostly he's going to call it, but he's going to have input from Fran and, and Bob Frazier. So that's a bad sign. Uh, we saw – uh, Kyle Flood in, in 2013, I think it was, when when uh, Rob Smith, I think it was, uh, left, or it was 2011, when Rob Smith left to uh, to go to Tampa. I think I'm getting this right, where Joe Rossi was promoted uh, to 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 to, uh, to interim defensive coordinator. But like he made that decision. I know, you know, Kyle Flood was an offensive line guy and Greg's a defensive guy, but it's a bad sign. I mean, he could have easily said, well. No, no, you know, no one would have you checked him on it. He could have easily, if Fran was going to be the guy that he was looking at, could have easily said that Fran is going to be calling calling the plays. That's the reason why I said false. Uh, do, do, do we do we know that Greg wasn't calling the plays all along? We, we're pretty sure that that Rob Smith would. I mean, I'm just serious. Yes, it wouldn't surprise. He, he said, like Greg has said on the record before. I think it was definitely at, at Big Ten Media Days uh, when Andy Greider from the. Pioneer Press, it was obviously Rob's last stop was Minnesota. He said Rob called the plays. I believe Rob called the plays. You know, I think in terms of a, of a candidate, like I know all the fans want Chris Partridge or Elijah Robinson. I just don't see that happening. You know, Elijah Robinson first, it's like you're, gonna, you're not going to win a bidding war with Texas A&M. You're just not. No, and I think right. if the hiring cycles have proven you don't need to be a coordinator to be hired as a head coach. You just don't, you know? So I, I think that, and I just, I don't see Partridge coming here because one, I just have a hard time imagining Partridge and Chiana working side by side. And two, you open a lot. There's a lot of baggage there still with Partridge coming here. And I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think I, I might be mangling the last name. Sorry, tell me. Tem Lukabu, defensive coordinator at Boston College. I think if I had to make a puncher's bet on who it's going to be, I would say it's him. Just because yeah, he's Boston a guy College who, is going to fight it. They're going to fight it. Yeah, Boston but, College really is going to fight it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they, yeah. they will. Yeah. They definitely will. But guess what? Rutgers should be able to win a bidding war with Boston College. And if you go back to the, the, the Anthony Campanile saga in 2019, over the, those six weeks in 2019, 2020, you know, 
it's entirely possible that Tem would have been the higher if Campanile had said, I'm not going, if he had turned him, because I, this has been wrong on some message board timelines. Boston College moved on from Campy first and hired Tem, and then Rutgers was still in it for like a week to 10 days later, and then he finally said no, and they hired Rob Smith. So I think he's he is – if I were to say there's a top candidate, not guaranteeing he's going to get the job, I would say he is the top candidate. But it's also right. possible that yeah. I, I think I don't think Greg's going to necessarily make a hire anytime soon. I mean, I think everyone's taking a breather, you know, delayed vacations after this bowl game. We still have a week to go in the NFL season. I think it's entirely possible that he's going to sit back and wait for everything to shake out and make his move. I don't think he's going to rush into hiring someone. Is that the last coaching move? I, I just can't imagine that the entire offensive uh, offensive staff comes back intact. I mean, what what do you think? Are we going to see something else? And if so, what's it going to be? Well, I obviously, you know, Sarge reported um, Adam Shire is not expected to return to this on-field staff. I don't expect – I think that's a philosophical thing. I mean – the special teams units have been great the last two years. I think that's probably a – they're not going to have a special team-specific coach moving forward. I, so I think a reorganization of the staff, that's my read on that situation. The It's a great question about the offense. You know, a bunch of guys have expiring contracts coming up. Um, you know, but then again, it's like, you know, everyone was back for the bowl game. I, so, yeah, I mean, if you had – like, this is the nature of college football, that, like, going to specific names – I would expect maybe one more move, two more moves max, um, but we'll see what happens. So, but I mean, I think you'll probably see some changes, but nothing substantial. I mean, Chung Gleason's obviously not going anywhere. All right, here, here's a good one for you, Sarge, since you've been trying to answer this question uh, and ask this question yourself at the ball press conference. And to set the scene again, there's all these happy guys in their green Gator Bowl blazers sitting up there in this podium, and here comes Sarge with – uh, asking about the finances of the Gator Bowl. And you could just tell that these guys knew there was going to be about 8,000 people in the stadium. And they're like, you could have asked me how much money this game is going to get. Anyway, so the question is from Rocco and Sebring, will, you, will Rutgers receive more of a share of the Big Ten Bowl revenue since it is now a bowl team? Uh, and uh, will the Big Ten receive bowl money from the Gator Bowl uh, since it's not a traditional Big Ten Bowl game? And that's essentially – What's the money situation? Okay, so here's here's as concise as I can make it as possible. One, <laughs> the receipts aren't in, so there's there's no definitive answer to that. Um, you know, they won't know probably for another week or two. Um, so there's no definitive. They're going to lose money. It's a question of Rutgers is going to lose money. It's a question of how much because travel and all the other things. Keep in mind, they did not have to shell out tickets like they used to have to. That was a big money loss back in their Big East days. Not an issue in the Big Ten. Big Ten covers that. Gator Bowl did not make them sell, you know, an allotment of tickets. Um, now, here's where, what Politi is referring to. The Gator Bowl normally gives $5.6 million per team. Uh, they have already said that they were not going to uh, give $5.6 million to, to, to Rutgers or to the Big Ten by extension because, you know, as we've you know, reported, you could Google it. You could look at, you know, if you really want to take a deep dive into it. Cratch has reported, I've reported, that basically the bowl money goes into one pot and it gets divvied up. So, but it's not going to be $5.6 million, $5.6 million. It just won't. Um, and, again, I asked a question during the press conference in the Gator Bowl, um, you know, and, again, talked to other people behind the scenes about it. 
uh, you know, they, they knew that this was going to be a game where they were going to, it was going to be a challenge to sell tickets. And um, when we saw, you know, and Polity, I think, made, made a joke at kickoff. Oh, that's the reason why the Gator <laughs> yeah. Bowl president looked at you. Now. You know, like, are you an idiot? You know, just wait till, till uh, you know, 10.59 a.m. On, on, uh, tomorrow when you see that there's literally no one in the stands. So, look, they, they, they talked about sponsors pulled out because uh, once an SEC school w- w- was out, that they were, they had some sponsors pulled out. Certainly the, the uh, tickets were a challenge. So, you know, I, I can c- see from the Gator Bowl perspective that they're looking at the receipts and they're like, well, the money just doesn't exist. So we cannot get that money. So, again, long answer long. Rutgers is going to lose money on this bowl trip. Um, you know, it's just the reality of it. And, um, you know, it's, they don't know how much. And, you know, they're certainly not going to p- profit, you know, financially from, from, from this bowl experience. Is it going to be is it going to be a seven digit loss? Is it going to be the kind of loss that ends up in an angry email? It's been, from, uh, yeah, it's been, and I, you know, and I, I did some reporting beforehand, and I then I, I decided to hit pause on it because again, the receipts aren't in, and it just would have been, you know, some of it was going to be speculative. So, but yeah, I mean, if you look at past bowl games, you know, even in 2014 when they went to the Quickling Bowl, you know, they've lost money on uh, on every bowl trip. So the only one that they didn't lose a ton on was one of the pinstripe. I think it was 2011 because obviously, you know, hotel is a little bit cheaper. You know, they, they didn't have a full week stay. Uh, they didn't have to fly. So, you know, one of those two uh, pinstripe bowls, they didn't lose as much, even though tickets, I think they, they, they might've got hit on because again, back, back in those days, there was a commitment that they had to sell X amount of tickets, like 10,000 tickets. And if you didn't, then you had to pay for whatever tickets you didn't sell. Right, and that, that's not the situation here. But so you think that would be the biggest reason they lost money on the on uh, the The reason they lost money is because um, you know travel and hotel stays and food and you know and and all of that, and that that is not even including like bonuses. I mean, Graciano is not going to take a bonus, and but you know uh, my understanding is I think some of those I think all of the assistants will, and you know deservedly so because they had to come back when they were all like really literally you know had, had, were on vacation, and then they had to. Uh, uh, you know, go really work around the clock. I mean, you know, Graciano talked about it. Like it was the hardest week of his life. If you imagine if it was the hardest week of his life, all those assistant coaches, it was the hardest week, you know, week, week uh, from them. So, you know, yeah. we're not even talking about bonuses and all that other stuff, which won't be factored in until, you know, sometime in the spring. But right now, as far as what they paid for to travel and what they shelled out on, on food and all the other receipts to what they're going to actually make from, from the Big Ten, from, from just from the bowl, bowl revenue, is they're going to lose money. A great story I mean, I think, just listening you know, to what the assistant coaches' wives said when they heard the news about this. But uh, go ahead, Kratz, sorry. I was going to say, I, I think the, the charter flights probably were a major increase in what they usually pay for. I mean, you know, fans kind of gave me, you know, like when Greg Shaw said they didn't have, like, that was real. Like, they struggled to find a plane or planes. They had two planes in the end to get to Jacksonville. That was a real issue that was when he said they didn't have a plane, I thought there was a very real possibility they were going to bust down, which would have been a total disaster because you have all kinds of NCAA rules about, you know, t- time and travel and f- eating, you know, and it's not like Rutgers can pull up to the Cracker Barrel on the, you know, in Richmond, Virginia and be like, Hey, we got to feed, feed everyone. You know, like it doesn't work that way. You know, you, they, they literally may have had to like drive, stop practice, drive, you know, all kinds of rules. So, 
I'm sure they paid a lot of money after. I mean, they were all over the place. Like I, you know, my understanding is, you know, they like people like, well, call the Patriots. Well, I'm pretty sure they did. And the Patriots just couldn't, you know, didn't have a flight crew for them. So yeah, I I think that Sarge is right. You know, they're definitely probably going to lose money and, but you know, it's the Gator Bowl. So, you know, you kind of, kind of do what you do. All right. Good stuff. Thanks everyone who uh, added questions. I know, I know we didn't get to all of them, so I'll try to go back on to uh, the tech service and, and fire off the answers where we can. Uh, all right, fellas, what else do we got? We got a basketball season. Hey, that's happening in progress. I know they had a couple of victories over sub 350 Ken Pop teams. Now Michigan comes to town. I, I mean, we didn't, I didn't get to watch either one of those games. They seem to be playing better. Do we, do we, do we read anything into those wins guys? I mean, it, it, you know, competition was bad. Yeah, I hate to, to take the easy way out, but, I mean, we just don't know. I mean, you know, I think we've, you know, and I, I know I've heard Pat Hobbs say and Steve Pleichel, and you might roll your eyes sometimes, but literally, I mean, they've proven that they could beat anyone in the country. I mean, they beat Purdue, um, and they could lose to anyone. I mean, they've lost to teams in, like, the, the 300s and, you know, in Ken Palm multiple times. I mean, so they could lose <laughs> to basically anyone. And, you know, but, look, Michigan's going to be interesting because they've never beaten in Michigan. That's the one, you know, game where, you know, um, now, keep in mind, I think that, we, you know, we could probably talk about this next, but like, you know, that now that, the, uh, you know, Rutgers implemented is imp- implementing a vaccine uh, requirement where you yeah, need to show uh, proof of vaccine or proof of a negative test within 72 hours of, of, of the game. Um, so that's already taken place now, but, you know, as far as I'm still curious to see, you know, how that impacts, you know, just a sheer number of people in the building, you know, um, you know, in this game and, you know, beyond. This, this is going to be a fascinating one. I think Kratz, because if they, if they do beat Michigan, the rack, it's at home game. It's a pretty big statement. And Michigan's not as good as they were last year. Certainly. I mean, then at least. I think that would propel the hope forward a little bit that maybe they can turn this thing around if they can pull off a win here. I, I mean, I get it. They've already beaten Purdue, so they have one good win. I'll give them two good wins. Eh, I mean, you know, there's still 140 in the net. Right. right. So that, exactly. would be, that would be yeah. history right there. No. Look, I, I think this is a – they got to take it one game at a time. You know, and obviously, but beating Michigan would be a good first step. You know, I think this is a team where it's almost like, you know, check back in 10 games. Like, we'll, we'll know then, you know. Like, we're either going to know in two games or we're going to know in 10 games. You know, I think if this team loses the next two, you know, good night delights. You know, 2,500 people at the rack the rest of the year. But if they can win this Michigan game and, and keep putting one foot in front of the other, they got a chance to get back in this thing. Right, right. And, and it feels like you really – you got to view the season that way. And it's okay. Forget the NCAA tournament. You're in the Big Ten now and see, see what the team can do. Um, wrestling is all rolling, right? We got some rolling wrestlings. Is that what I've read? Rolling wrestling, yeah. So, you know, they, you know, Greg Bolsack, uh, Special Rivera go win titles, the Matt Men Invitational Tournament. You know, they, it's kind of like the fake Midlands. The Northwestern canceled the Midlands. So then basically they, some group got the arena and basically had the Midlands without, not by name. You know, so record, you know, wrestling well. Dual meet season starts up Friday at home against Indiana. Um, as long as Indiana had some COVID issues recently. So you got to kind of hope that match happens. But, you know, look, there's a team off to a great start. You know, they're going to wrestle Penn State in two weeks. So I think that they're not going to get on the historic, you know, undefeated stretch where ranks in program history. But they're looking good. I mean, and Bolsack's win was incredibly beat a returning NCAA finalist for the title. You know, if Rutgers can stay healthy, they're going to have a chance to have five 
you know, four, five, six All-Americans in the national tournament, which would be a massive breakthrough for the program. Anything else, fellas? What women's basketball? Are they going to win a Big Ten game? They came close. You know, they, they, they made a big comeback at Purdue, lost in the buzzer beater. You know, that was, they've had COVID issues as well, but they seem to be over that hump. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough year for them, but I think that they should be able to scratch out a couple of Big Ten wins. All right. Well, on that note, let's sign off for this one. Again, I wish I were in Jacksonville right now based on what's the weather outside. Hope everyone is getting their new year off to a good start. And we'll be back uh, soon to talk some basketball. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com insider.